Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Uh, sorry for the delay. We're starting an hour late today for technical, technical reasons. Look, uh, artificial intelligence could do anything, but uh, sometimes it can't solve the easiest of uh, technological problems. We are captive of the technology, and so... Uh, we go with the flow, and uh, we put it on an hour late, better late than than never. <clears throat> I want to talk tonight about the First Amendment and about freedom of speech and about how selective it is and how it can be used as a weapon uh, by by both sides. I want to talk about two subjects. They're utterly, utterly unrelated, except they both involve freedom of speech. The judge in the Donald Trump case in Washington, D.C., who seems to be extraordinarily biased, against the defendant and uh, comes from a background of a law firm that has uh, shown real, uh, uh, real, real bias. Um, that uh, judge imposed a gag order and uh, some of the gag order might pass muster. <clears throat> it says you can't attack witnesses. Okay, you can't attack witnesses. We'll talk about one aspect of that in a minute. And you can't attack the families of people who work in the courthouse. But Surely in America, you can attack the judge. And she said, actually, that's okay. You can attack the judge to her credit. But she said, you can't attack the prosecutor. I have to tell you, I've made a living attacking prosecutors. Uh, I've attacked prosecutors from the day I started practicing law. Um, I've attacked them in almost all of my books. The best defense was all about attacking prosecutors. I named names. Um, and I made very serious accusations. That's part of being an American. And the idea that Donald Trump can't call the people who are prosecuting him thugs, thugs is part of our American vocabulary. You know, some people claim it's an anti-Irish slur. I've never heard that used that way. And certainly I don't think Trump would ever use it that way. I would certainly never use it that way. I mean, thug is just something that says, you know, thuggish behavior, just just uh, uh, not within the rules of ethics or the rules of law or the rules of decency. So I, I don't believe that uh, the Supreme Court would uphold a ban on calling a prosecutor a thug, even if it's in, in the run up to the trial. The other one is even more serious. He can't attack witnesses or criticize witnesses. Well, there's one problem. There is a witness in the case called Pence. You ever hear of him? He used to be the vice president of the United States. He's a witness against Trump. He's also running against Trump to become the next Republican nominee for president. Do you think a court actually has the power or should have the power under the First Amendment to tell one candidate he can't attack the other candidate? Under this ruling, which is so absurd, um, uh, Pence can say anything he wants about about Trump, but Trump can't can't respond. I mean, no, he's a witness. He's a witness. He's not threatening him as a witness. He would be criticizing him as a candidate. So my prediction, I've made predictions before, 
if the case is appealed, this gag order is appealed, and it can be appealed. You don't have to wait until the end of the case. You can take either mandamus or an interlocutory appeal to the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, and then if you lose there, to the Supreme Court. I don't think the Supreme Court will uphold the breadth of this um, ban in violation, in my view, of the First Amendment. I think that they, the Supreme Court would allow Trump to criticize the prosecutors. Uh, I have a right to criticize the prosecutors. Why doesn't he? He says he's has presumed innocent as I am. Uh, he's presumed innocent. He maintains his First Amendment rights. Now, you know, he can't directly interfere with a, a trial. Yeah, yeah. But the idea that you can't call a judge a thug, um, it's part of being uh, American. I mean, go back. Thomas Jefferson said some terrible things about about judges, including his own cousin, John Marshall. Uh, you know, he was um, too elegant to use the term thug. I didn't even know if the word thug existed back then. But uh, back at the founding, people used very strong language against judges. Judges were very much uh, a controversial part of our legal system. Uh, Jacksonian Democrats, Jeffersonian Democrats didn't like judges. Uh, they didn't like elitist appointed judges who can't be removed except uh, for extraordinary misconduct, and uh, they, they let them know it. So that's that's my prediction, that if it is appealed, I don't know if it's being appealed, but if it's appealed, that the uh, courts, whether it be the, D the D.C. appellate courts or the uh, Supreme Court, will say, no, you can't uh, restrict a candidate from uh, opposing the other candidate and, and, and criticizing the other candidate, and you can't prevent a defendant from calling the judge a thug. I don't understand the difference between why you can call the judge a thug, but you can't call the prosecutor a thug. It, it, it didn't, doesn't seem logical to me. But So let's put it in the context of, of free speech. So here we have a case restricting free speech. And now we have the president of Harvard University, president of various other universities around the country saying, we can't say anything really or do anything or complain about what some of these horrible, miserable uh, students and faculty members have been saying about uh, about Israel and about Jews. Um, you know, we have a professor who says he thought the murder, the rape of um, of women uh, and babies was awesome. Was awesome. This is a professor. Awesome. Um, we have we have professors who are telling students to line up. If you're Jewish, you go on this side. If you're not Jewish, you go on the other side. Sounds maybe a little bit like a different part of the world 80 years ago. Um, we have, you know, Harvard students, stupid, bigoted students. Yeah, stupid, bigoted students uh, saying that the rapes and the murderers and the beheadings are all entirely the fault of Israel. So they have freedom of speech, but let me ask you this question, and it's the most important one. Let's assume a student group was started at Harvard, or the student newspaper at Harvard, the Harvard Crimson. Um, let's assume it Harvard Crimson wrote an editorial or a group issued a statement saying, you know, that black church that was bombed, um, it was the fault of the black children in the church for being uppity, uh, just like it was the fault of 
black people who were lynched for being uppity. You don't, if you're black, you can't be uppity. That's what people, horrible, despicable racists were saying back in the 20s. And, you know, the bombings of churches went through the 60s, maybe even later. Can you imagine a student newspaper trying to justify the bombing of a black church saying it was the fault of the victims, entirely the fault of the victims? Or let's assume a student at Harvard got raped and the student newspaper said, no, it was her fault. She was wearing a, a short dress. Um, she was acting provocatively. It was her fault that that she got that she got raped or somebody saying it was his fault because he got stabbed or shot. The question the First Amendment really asks, and the question I ask all the time, is what would a university president have done under those circumstances? Would they have talked about the freedom of speech in the First Amendment? Would they have said universities have to remain neutral on these issues? We can't take positions. We can take positions on George Floyd. We can take positions on Ukraine, We can, but we can't take positions on Israel. We, we never can take positions when Jews are involved, when blacks are involved, yes, when gays are involved, yes, when transgender people are involved, yes, but when Jews are involved, why? They're, they're privileged. They're privileged. Um, uh, and, and so we can't speak up on their behalf, even if they're privileged and beheaded, privileged and raped, privileged and kidnapped, privileged and held as hostages. They're Jews, so we don't speak up on behalf of Jews. We never have, and we never will. Uh, that seems to be the attitude many universities are taking. No, no, the First Amendment doesn't permit that. Uh, now, Harvard isn't bound by the First Amendment. It's a private university, but it says it's bound by the First Amendment. I know I helped draft some of those provisions when I was a professor there. University of North Carolina, City University of New York, they're public institutions. They're bound by the First Amendment. Are they allowed to apply the First Amendment differently to different groups of students and say, look, the students who say that uh, the uh, women who were beheaded and raped and murdered was the fault of Israel, they're allowed to say that, but they wouldn't be allowed to say the same thing about Black people or gay people or transgender people. No, no, I don't think the First Amendment, certainly the spirit of the First Amendment, wouldn't permit that kind of distinction. It's it's content distinction. It's exactly what the First Amendment is supposed to prohibit. That's why I came up with the concept in my writing years ago uh, called kind of the circle of civility or the circle of equality, um, in which you ask yourself what kinds of things can be said and not said. And it doesn't matter who they say it about. If it falls outside the circle of where it can be said, maybe it's it's not protected, for example. You can't, a teacher can't point to a person in the classroom and say, you're black, therefore I expect this of you, or you're Jewish, therefore you have to stand <clears throat> in a certain place and uh, you have to give all your money over to the, the Palestinians, which is apparently what this teacher uh, did. So, uh, so there's a, a good rule that says freedom of speech does not include attacking specific individuals in your classroom based on their ethnicity, their gender, their sexual orientation. Uh, you can say, you know, you can say Jews cheat. 
um, as the president of Harvard did say many, many years ago. And when he was uh, told that Christians cheat too, he said, you're changing the subject. We're only talking about Jews now. That was President Lowell of Harvard, who still has lecture halls and houses named after him, uh, despite his despicable history. There's been no reckoning at Harvard about its anti-Semitism, just about its attitudes toward uh, blacks. At uh, Yale, they renamed a college uh, that was named Calhoun, uh, who was a, you know, a great, a great um, a member of Congress, but who supported slavery. And they renamed it after by law school classmate, uh, an African-American uh, gay woman, which satisfied you know a lot of people at at, at Yale um, and 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 so there's been this reckoning but there's never been a reckoning with regard to Jews or the nation state of the of the Jewish people the one thing that is clear is that neither universities private or public nor the First Amendment tolerates distinctions based on content um, you can't allow speech that discriminates against one group if you disallow it, if it discriminates against another group. And that's the big fallacy. I'm not in favor of banning anything. I'm not in favor of banning anything. But if you're going to ban speech that is anti-black, anti-gay, anti-transgender, anti-female, etc., then you must ban speech that's anti-Semitic. I'd rather ban nothing. I'd rather ban nothing, but you cannot make Jews into second-class citizens or the nation-state of the Jewish people apply a double standard to it. You have to apply the same standard to Israel as you apply to South Africa, um, other states, um, um, states that have an ethnic composition, states that don't. Um, but um, the idea that that you can stand on the First Amendment and say, no, no, Harvard is entirely neutral. We can't condemn students who support rapists and murderers and beheaders and kidnappers. No, we can't do that. We can if they say anything critical or negative about somebody on the basis of race or, or sexual orientation or gender, then we can criticize them. I guarantee you that Harvard would have disassociated itself from the Harvard Crimson. Uh, remember, it's called the Harvard Crimson. It's not run by Harvard, but Harvard can stop them from using its name. Um, if they had said about blacks what they have said about Jews, it's just the reality. It would be it would be true. So I have actually advocated Harvard disallowing the Harvard Crimson to use uh, the name Harvard. Now, the answer is, well, but there's a Harvard pizza shop. I know, I used to go there a lot. I liked it. It was good pizza. But nobody ever confused the pizza with the views of Harvard. Uh, nobody ever said, you know, that that's that's a, a thick crust pizza. That must represent some symbol of Harvard. Nobody's ever made that conclusion. But the Harvard Crimson people do think that the views expressed in the Harvard Crimson somehow reflect the views of Harvard. And it's awfully hard to persuade them otherwise and have them disassociated. It's the Harvard Crimson. Why not make it just be called the Crimson or the Yale Daily? The Daily. A lot harder for the name of the school, the name of the newspaper in the school I went to. <laughs> One of the newspapers I went to Brooklyn College was called the Brooklyndian. So, you know, Brooklyn, Brooklyndian. But um, uh, there were several other newspapers there as well. One called the Kingsman. 
So, um, um, but you needn't have the name of the school associated. And, 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 and Amnesty International should not be able to use the name Amnesty International at Harvard if it's going to defend rapists and, um, and murderers and, and beheaders. Um, again, you make whatever rule you want, Harvard, Yale, you make whatever rule you want, just apply it equally. Don't apply it differentially. Don't say that there's one rule for Jews and one rule for blacks. Don't say that. That's wrong. That's immoral. That's in violation of academic freedom. That, in the end, if you're a public university, is unconstitutional. It's exactly what the schools are doing. And that's why people are calling for censorship. Because they say there already is censorship. Larry Summers basically made that point, the former president of Harvard, who was fired because he exercised his free speech rights, he said something that was very controversial, that maybe the women uh, who don't excel as much, I'm not doing him justice, who was more sophisticated than that, um, or phys physics people, uh, maybe there's something that is, 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 is explains it. And it was regarded as sexist. And he was fired. There was a great cartoon in one of the newspapers and it showed him begging for his job back. And he said, I didn't say women were intellectually inferior. I said, Israel's an apartheid state. Now can I have my job back? Uh, that made the point very, very well. Um, you fire a president of a university if he says anything negative about women, about blacks, about gays. You fire him. But you can say anything you want about Jews, anything, and you're not going to get fired. But you know what's going to happen? contributions are going to be cut off. I will never, ever, ever contribute a single penny, a single penny to Harvard, to Yale, or to Brooklyn College, as long as they maintain their tolerance and double standard toward anti-Jewish rhetoric. Never, never will I contribute a penny. Um, now, I would say I wouldn't speak at these schools, but they don't invite me. Um, anymore, even though I was a professor over 50 years. I got one invitation in 50 years to speak to a student group, and they made me do it off campus for fear, because I was speaking about Israel, that I would be physically attacked. I said, I'll take that risk. And they said, no, uh, you can't speak on the campus. 50 years at Harvard, 60 now, including my emeritus. And uh, they don't want to hear me speak. They want to hear Norman Finkelstein speak. They want to hear these professors. By the way, these professors, the one who say it was awesome, they're going to be popular speakers on campus now. They're going to be sought after um, around the country by radical leftist uh, groups. Our universities are in a state of failure. Not all of them and not all of the departments. Uh, what's happening is universities are getting divided into half. They maintain... Great, great standing on STEM. They're very good in teaching science, technology, engineering, and math, maybe economics. But they suck when it comes to history, philosophy, literature, you name it. Those have all been taken over by the reckoning. Uh, and, 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 you know, what you're learning about in many of those departments is not anything particularly intellectual or artistic, but political. And uh, so schools have issued mandates saying you have to teach the literature of the oppressed people. 
uh, the unprivileged don't teach the literature of, 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 of you know, privileged white Anglo-Saxon men like Shakespeare, Dostoevsky. Oh my God, you can't teach that stuff. Come on. You have to teach Malcolm X. They even made an opera of Malcolm X. I go to see every opera pretty much. I don't think I'm going to see the life and times of Malcolm X. Why? I had dinner with Malcolm X. I met him. I got to know him. He was a bigot. He was an anti-Semite. He was a racist. I met him when he had just come back from Mecca and Medina, and he had found Allah. God bless him for that. But what he said about Jews was inexcusable. He spoke at Harvard. I introduced him. Uh, but I'm not going to go to see his opera. Um, and um, can you imagine making an opera about uh, a racist leader on the uh, other side? No, it, it couldn't happen. The reckoning has turned America on its head. It's turned universities on their heads. And it's made it very difficult to get a real education in some departments in major universities. Political Science Department at Brooklyn College, you can't get an education at the Political Science Department at Brooklyn College. It's all propaganda. You can't get an education at the um, CUNY uh, City University of New York Law School. Maybe, maybe if you're really careful in selecting courses, you can take only technical classes about wills, but I bet you even those courses are, well, wills are very, very favorable to the wealthy and the privileged. Uh, why are we teaching wills even in school? We ought to be teaching, you know, welfare. Yeah, they ought to be teaching welfare and wills so that students can do can do both. So what we're seeing is educational institutions being turned into propaganda mills and we're fighting back. We're fighting back. People who do contribute, people who have lots of money. I wish I had a lot of money so that when I say I don't contribute to Harvard anymore, they'll feel it. Unfortunately, they're not going to feel very much my few thousand dollars that I used to uh, contribute to uh, these universities that I won't contribute to uh, anymore. My contributions are going to uh, universities, causes, uh, institutions uh, that do the right thing, not that do the not that do the wrong thing. And so, you know, free speech, free speech for me, but not for thee, free speech for Hamas and its supporters, but not for Trump. And uh, I'm not sure the framers of the First Amendment would have really been happy how it seems to be being abused today for uh, partisan and ideological uh, reasons. So let's turn to some letters, most of them about the Middle East that uh, we're hearing. Uh, we're also you know, hearing some some developing news. I mean, there was this attack on a hospital in Gaza killing hundreds of people. And according to my wife, at least, she follows this all the time. Al Jazeera has been showing videos of a rocket that came from the Palestinian side uh, and was apparently a rocket fired by one of the terrorist groups in Hamas that misfired and hit the hospital. But of course, the entire Arab side says it's Israel. The Jordanians say it's Israel. They've canceled a meeting with uh, with President Biden. Um, uh, the Palestinians have canceled the meeting. The Palestinians always cancel meetings. I must be somebody special. I had a meeting with a boss a couple of years ago. He didn't cancel it. Uh, we had dinner. Um, and uh, we talked about a possible two-state solution, but that was a million years ago, unfortunately, it was only a few years ago, but things have changed so, so dramatically. Okay, Professor, you keep listing all the peace offers the Palestinians have rejected. 
Why have you never mentioned the latest and best offer, namely the Trump plan? Absolutely true. And, and I should have. And I participated in it the day after the um, speech I made uh, in the Senate on behalf of President Trump. There was an event in the White House to which I was invited, both by President Trump and by Prime Minister Netanyahu, to celebrate the peace offer that was made to the Palestinians. They, of course, rejected uh, the Trump plan. The offer was accepted by Israel, but the Palestinians um, uh, had to show the Trump administration and Israel the middle finger. Why do you think the Biden administration is not even trying to pick up the point Trump left? It's true. The Palestinians have never understood how to take yes for an answer. They could have had a state over and over again. They could have had a viable state. They could have been like Lebanon used to be before it was taken over by Hezbollah, but instead they chose not to have a state because their goal is not to have a two-state solution, but just no state of Israel. As the founder, of really, of the Palestinian people, and remember, in the 1930s, there was no Palestinian people. Uh, there was appeal commission done by England and the leader of the Arabs who lived in Palestine. He, he said, we're not the Palestinian people. We're, we're Syrians. We're Southern Syrians. We're part of the Arab nation. Um, and he said, I don't want there to be an Arab state in Palestine. I don't want there to be, he didn't use the word Palestinian because he'd never heard of it. Uh, I don't want there to be a state in Palestine of Arabs. I just don't want there to be a Jewish state. That was his testimony. Go back and read it. It's called the Peel Commission. You'll see that I quote it accurately. Uh, this is interesting. Proportionality. I spoke about that quite a bit. He said, the letter, I think God and Abraham worked out this proportionality thing. Uh, Lord, if there are 50 good people, you won't kill the people of Saddam. And then they argue 40, 30, 20, 10. So you're absolutely right. It was the first example of a kind of proportionality. How many people would God kill? Uh, and, and how many innocent people would God kill in order to get the bad people of Saddam? And so Abraham and God, probably the first argument in history about proportionality. Never thought of it before, even though I've written two books on the Bible and uh, emphasized that story as central to our rule of law, the presumption of innocence, and the notion that it's better for 10 guilty to go free than one innocent to be wrongly confined. So shame on me for not thinking about that. Mr. Dershowitz, do you agree with the assertion of Israeli uh, President Herzog that the entire Gaza nation is guilty of the atrocity against the Israelis? No more than the entire German people were guilty of the Holocaust or the entire Japanese people were guilty of the horrible rapes and uh, murders that they committed on the Chinese people and, 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 and the, the, the horrors they inflicted on American prisoners of war. Countries bear some responsibility, particularly in democracies. They do now. Obviously, Gaza is not a democracy, although they voted for Hamas in the last legislative uh, council election. But as I said yesterday, and have said it for years now, there's this continuum. Um, some civilians are more responsible if they support Hamas, if they finance Hamas, if they pay for uh, the families of terrorists who are killed, if they hide rockets in their own houses, they're complicitous. Um, a three-year-old baby is not. So um, Herzog clarified his statement and, and made it clear that not all the people of Gaza are responsible for Hamas's crime. Okay, two questions about nuclear bombs. I'm confused as to why we dropped two nuclear bombs on clearly unarmed, helpless citizens in, in Japan. 
Um, and um, then another question. So then, Mr. Dershowitz, under your understanding of international law regarding proportional response, the U.S. bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki was criminal. There was no specific military targets of value, but there was a great amount of civilians, both anticipated to die and, in fact, did die in Paris. Absolutely right. Uh, the Under the current law of proportionality, the attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki um, were war crimes. Certainly the attack on Nagasaki, uh, the second attack. Hiroshima, one can argue, had some military value, but not nearly enough to justify the killing of maybe 100,000 people and the slow death of thousands thereafter. So I just don't think that any country can really lecture Israel on proportionality. Um, England firebombed Dresden. Um, uh, you know, the United States held Berlin in a siege. Um, and uh, no country has behaved uh, perfectly. And I do think that in modern history, Israel, which is only 75 years old, has a better record of proportionality in dealing with civilians than any country um, faced with comparable threats. Compare the number of civilians killed by the United States in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I'm not saying that they were wrong. I'm just saying that the numbers are much, much, much higher. And remember, Iraq and Afghanistan are not our neighboring countries. They're not lobbing rockets into our kindergartens and beheading our our our, 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 our children. Um, and yet the world seemed to apply a somewhat harsher standard to Israel than it did to uh, other countries of the world. So we'll continue to talk about this. I apologize for the show being late. I hope tomorrow that the technology will uh, clear up and we'll be able to do it on time. See you then. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.